Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Dale Walker. I want to welcome you to our Leadership Podcast. We are looking at how to become leaders that lead like Jesus. I'm excited to have you listening. If you want the notes on this, you can get them at dalewalker.life. There's also a lot of other resources to help you grow in your leadership. Share this with someone if you are blessed. I know you will be. God bless you. Wonderful. Well, today we're talking on week six about finding the most positive and current and encouraging way to say it. Preaching uh, that builds faith, not shame. <laughs> and so uh, we, we started a few weeks ago with this acronym CRAFT, how to craft a message. And we said the C is for collect and categorize. The R is for research and reflect. The A is for apply and arrange. The F is for fashion and flavor. And the T is for trim and tie it together. So today we're talking about uh, fashion and flavor. Um, say it in the way that brings faith and favor. And so I like what Ecclesiastes 12.10 says, the preacher sought to, to, to find delightful words. <laughs> and I can tell you right now that to be effective, means working at the best way to say it. Um, Proverbs 15.2 says, when wise people speak, they make knowledge attractive. And we've all heard the adage, <laughs> you draw more bees with honey than vinegar. And so we're trying to get honey out there. Uh, J.B. Phillips said, if words are to enter people's hearts and bear fruit, they must be right words shaped to pass defenses and explode silently and effectually within their minds. Again, Paul said in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. And, and I just love that idea. Those of you who are cooks, you know that the flavoring is a, is a really big deal. <laughs> uh, you can have the meal, but uh, the flavoring will depend on oftentimes whether people will want to eat it or not. And I, and I was thinking about how subtly words and tone create atmospheres. And uh, again, first idea that came into my mind was, was Chick-fil-A. And obviously when I, if you study your little uh, speaker interactions with people who take your orders, isn't it interesting how subtle it is, but they spend so much time uh, trying to teach people how to say pleasant words. And as a result, people are attracted. <laughs> it's my pleasure. So it's, it's the idea of something as simple as tone. And we've certainly all experienced that even in a marriage or <laughs> with our kids or with friends. Uh, that tone does everything. Uh, and so here's a, a key point, reasons why this matters so much. Number one, pleasant is persuasive. And circle the word persuasive. Another way of saying this is if you're abrasive, you'll never be persuasive. <laughs> and uh, I think that's a, a great thing to remember. It doesn't matter if you're right, uh, I could say. If you're a jerk, nobody wants to hear it. So if you're pleasant, 
you're persuasive. Again, Proverbs 16, 21 is probably the theme verse of this talk. The wise are known for their understanding and pleasant words are persuasive. I think it's very sad that in our culture, even the word preach has a negative connotation right now. I mean, have you ever heard someone say, don't preach, <laughs> don't preach at me. Uh, I don't need a sermon. Uh, isn't that sad? Because that's my job. <laughs> you know? and, uh, it's kind of depressing. But I think it's important to acknowledge that because we live in a culture, unfortunately, that the church has become known more for what it's against than for what it's for. And so the first thought when people think of preaching is, I think they think of scolding. <laughs> Don't scold me. Um, don't tell me what's wrong with me. Don't make me feel guilty. <laughs> uh, those are all kinds of things that I believe that is that reaction that people have. And one of the saddest things I can think of is that we who have the most positive message the world has ever heard, the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, are, are treated as if we're going to bring bad news. And I think it's important for us to shift that. I think you know, one of the things Rick Warren, I thought was interesting because he studied a lot of churches. He says, maybe one of the reasons why churches have a lot of negative people <laughs> is because many preachers have preached negative messages. Uh, somehow, I don't know where it got, maybe it's kind of an Old Testament model that some people got used to going to church. And I, I shared it last week, those uh, kind of the, ain't it awful sermons, ain't it awful, <laughs> those terrible this and that terrible that. And uh, his, his proponent was, maybe that's why in board meetings, when you want to say something positive, <laughs> let's take a risk, let's go for God, let's, you know, let's, 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 let's be generous. There, there's a lot of negative resistance. And I really do think that many of us know and can relate who were raised in very religious homes. Uh, we're raised in cultures where, at least as kids or other things, that the feeling of preaching had a lot to do. I'm going to be scolded today, and, and I'm going to hear some negative things today. What's important in, I, in our idea here is that Jesus did not come across that way. Here's a few verses I think are important. Mark 12, 37, it says, the large crowd listened to Jesus with delight. <laughs> you know, uh, There's a flavor there, isn't there? Uh, Luke 7, 34 says, the son of man came enjoying life. I mean, when people saw Jesus, it was positive, right? They, uh, I think the greatest example we've said of that is that kids wanted to play with Jesus. Kids do not play with negative people, <laughs> you know, if, if Jesus was the kind of adult that said, get away, get out of here, you know, they would not be sitting in his lap. I, I think Jesus was laughing. I think he was joking. I think he was having a blast and, and people enjoyed his messages because of the atmosphere that he said. We know that uh, Proverbs 17, 22 says a cheerful heart is good medicine. I think a cheerful sermon 
is a healing medicine. Again, I was going to read to you this. I thought it was interesting. Uh, just, just to be conscious of even the churches, uh, sometimes their publicity, how we come across to the community. I don't know if, if we're aware of it, but I, I thought this was interesting. Here is a real mailing campaign. Uh, here's an advertising of a, <laughs> gives you an example of, of kind of a typical uh, church campaign. Dear, dear friend, have you noticed the many obstacles popping up these days to burden the American family? Real estate is increasing at an astronomical rate with the interest rates skyrocketing. It is almost impossible for the average person to buy a home. Prices are soaring in the area of groceries, gasoline, clothes. These create pressures and problems for the home. One out of three marriages ends in divorce. Aren't you feeling excited? <laughs> you know, Kids are rebelling against their parents and they're experiencing all the bad things in the life. There is an epidemic of depression. We are overwhelmed with problems. <laughs> and finally, at the end, they get to. But in spite of all of this, God can give us true joy. Uh, how many know by the time you get to the end, it, it's like uh, one person said it was like going up to someone and pushing them in the pool. And while they're drowning, you come in there and uh, rescue them. <laughs> they're not going to exactly say, wow, thank you for the good news you rescued. Yeah, you almost drowned me. In other words, if we heap people with negativity, they may very well not be ready to receive the positive message that we want to bring. And so here's a natural truth. The law of reaction says a negative delivery will achieve a negative response. Uh, again, what you sow, you reap. If you make people defensive, <laughs> they will put up defenses. <laughs> if you uh, are any way a threat condemning them, they are going to either resist you back, <laughs> they're going to turn you off <clears throat> or tune you out. So this is especially true when it comes to ministering to unbelievers. And I just kind of want to uh, highlight this because I believe that one of the most important things the church does is speak to the community and not just those who are saved. I mean, the Christian church, they'll take a lot of negativity. <laughs> but if you're really wanting to speak to outsiders, in uh, Colossians 4, 5, and 6, uh, J.B. Phillips' translation says, be tactful with those who are not Christians. Talk to them agreeably. Isn't that good? Be tactful uh, with non-Christians. Talk to them in a way that's agreeable. Now, let me just make that, make something clear. We're not talking about watering down the gospel. <laughs> We're not talking about not speaking the truth. We're just talking about being polite, being honoring in such a way that we don't push people away. Here, here's, uh, here's something that I think is a, is a assumption that, that I have, and I think it's a part of the heart for the world way to preach. We don't have to make people feel guilty. They already are. Uh, and and that's, that's an important point. Jesus said in John 3, 17, I have not come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. 
Um, you know, our, our greatest message, I like to say it this way, is that the gospel is not us coming to call people to remorse. The gospel is us calling and telling people there's a way of relief. And I just love this idea. The most important thing about our message is people are burdened down. <laughs> they are burdened down with guilt. They feel unworthy of God. Even walking into a church, what's a common thing an unbeliever will say? That the, the roof is going to fall in if I go to your church, right? I mean, that's literally, uh, where does that come from? Well, it comes from preachers. But the truth is, Jesus didn't come to knock a roof down on you. <laughs> he came to give you relief. Come to me, all you that are burdened or heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take a deep breath. I give you peace. And, and that's important. You know, something interesting. Jesus, uh, I just noticed this. Jesus never called people sinners. <laughs> Did you know that? Now, he did call Pharisees uh, white-walled, whitewashed sepulchers. Someone said a grave with a bad makeup job. But he never, he never lambasted sinners. Now, what did he do? The people who were religious Pharisees who condemned, he was really hard on them because they were putting barriers up to people finding God. And Jesus wanted the sinners to come. And so... His message was the opposite of the Pharisees. Boy, that's important for us to, to remember and hear. We don't have to go and, and take 30 minutes in our message to tell people how bad this sin is. That's an extra amount of time you don't have to spend, right? If you, if you found a person with 50 parking tickets the best way to help them is not say, hey, let's go talk to a judge and let him give you 50 reasons why you're a lousy driver. No, let's find out how you can get rid of these tickets and do better. A classic example of the positive approach of Jesus is in Matthew 6 when he, when he talks about worry. One of the easiest ways you could preach on worry is, here are five reasons worry will kill you. See how much you worry? You worry all the time. Worry is selfish. Worry is stupid. Worry is wrong. And I mean, do people really need to know that? Or do they already know that? And so what does Jesus do? He just starts with, let me give you six ways to live without worry. Father loves you. He knows your burden before you even ask him. He cares for birds. <laughs> Even flowers don't have to worry because he wants to take care of them. How much more valuable are you? And, and so that's, that's an important way to think as you present a message. I think uh, one of the, the reasons, and I've been putting this in all of our teaching, and, and that is that we are grace preachers because we want to lead people to faith and not shame. How do people change? How do they live the Christian life? They live it by faith. They don't live it because they feel guilty. Um, you know, Paul would often talk about the law. And, and he would say, why do you want to listen to these Judaizers, these people who keep wanting to put you under the law? They're not helping you. And, and he, he gives that idea in Romans 7 
the thing that you know that you shouldn't do is exactly what you end up doing. The thing you, you know you ought to do, you don't do. What is he saying? The law just, the law just leads you to become obsessed with the negative, and that only creates more negative. And I've said this before. Have you ever told someone, whatever you do right now, don't think a negative thought? <laughs> well, what you did is just tell them something not to think about. And guess what? What they just thought about not thinking about, they just thought about. <laughs> like if I said, don't think about purple elephants, you just thought of one. So the, the idea is Paul says, no, that's not how somebody becomes righteous. In Galatians 3, he says, these powerful things. How do you receive the spirit? By, by works? No, by faith. Having begun by the spirit and grace, are you now going to get better by works? No. How? But by believing the righteousness that it's already yours. How is somebody going to change? Not because they know how bad they've been, but because they know of what grace has provided. When we bring them to hope, when we bring them to a new identity, the result of that is life change. That is why this idea of repentance, you know, which unfortunately religious people have made one of the most negative words in the Bible, is actually one of the most positive words in the Bible. It, it doesn't mean, repentance doesn't mean feel bad for your sins. Repentance means how you turn from guilt to grace, how you turn from hopelessness to hope, how do you turn from meaninglessness to purpose. It means to get a new positive direction in your life. And, and, and I believe that anyone who really understands, good morning, anyone who really understands repentance and experiences it from the biblical point of view would say, that was the best news I ever heard. It was how to get out of the mud. It was how to get out of the quicksand. If I would have understood that, I would have repented a hundred years ago, but I never understood it. All I heard was, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. <laughs> And I didn't hear, Jesus is offering you the most positive life change you ever could imagine. That's what the word of repentance is. I, I really stand out, by the way, uh, if you're looking on your notes, we're just about to Roman numeral two. And, and Jesus, you know how he just slammed the Pharisees. You know, one of the things he said that was so scathing, he said, you guys load people up with laws and <laughs> bricks and you don't lift a finger to help them you know what he's trying to say your job isn't to scold people your job is to help them to find hope so how do you bring a positive message with negative passages of scripture for example talking about hell or something like that and how do you bring a positive message when people feel negative and have negative situations in their life. Um, I'm faced with that this week. I'm going to be uh, giving a sermon for, for a man who killed himself and everything about it is negative. How am I going to bring a positive message? Uh, nobody even knows if he's saved, you know. 
how, how do you how do you bring positive messages? Uh, well, here's some thoughts. Number one, always teach with a humble and loving attitude. We are not preaching scripture at people. We are looking at scripture with people. There's a big difference. Again, we are not scolding. What is scolding? Scolding is taking the Bible and using it as a whip. The Bible says you're not supposed to lie, you liars. You know, that's that's uh, scolding. We are called to scripture and say, can we look together at what the scriptures say? We are fellow strugglers with you. We admit, you know, I have a harder time doing well with this as anybody. I, I, I often use the William Booth quote, what's a preacher? One beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. You know, uh, We're not saying we got it all together. We're saying we found the bread <laughs> and uh, you can find it too. I think the attitude is huge. We, we've got to come down from our high horse to where people are. One of the things I, I mean is we don't have to defend God or pretend to have all of the answers. I, I think it's just better to be honest. You, you, you read something in the Bible and say, that one's hard. I don't really completely understand it, but it's not my job to defend what God said. It's my job to understand it and believe it. But you're, you're, you're just being honest, uh, not defensive. We don't have to be negative or cynical towards people who have different points of view. Now, this is so important in our culture uh, where the political way of presenting any argument is demonize the other people who think differently than you. Uh, paint them as these awful, ugly people or stupid people. That does no good. In fact, I think it's it's better to say, I totally disagree with them, but I think many of them have good motives. I, I think they might mean well, but I don't agree with them. <laughs> you know, I can say, I don't, I, you know, those people, whatever, critical race theory. I don't agree with them, but I think some of them really care about reducing racism for people of color, I, I respect that. But here's why I don't agree with them. You know, again, it's not, you know, those terrible freaking liberals and whatever it is, you know. It's hey, I can honor all people and disagree. I don't have to put someone down to lift my message up. How do you speak about things like hell? You don't re deny the reality of hell. That's not, again, love without truth isn't love and truth without love isn't love, a truth. But you, you speak it with the heart that Jesus spoke it in. Don't ever say anything Jesus said unless you have the heart Jesus had when he said it. And Jesus said, you know, the Bible says it's not God's heart that anyone should perish. What does that mean? Jesus wept when he talked about hell. He didn't say, yeah, they're going to hell. He said, not only does it break my heart, but look what I did so they don't have to go to hell. I went to hell. 
Uh, he, he, was, he was compassionate. He was humble. He came down to their level. They always felt that he cared. He never made anyone feel like God was disgusted with them. He always insisted that he had come to remove whatever the barrier is between them and God, that that was his mission. And that's our mission as preachers. When we get up there, our mission is, what barriers can I remove today? We never forget that our mission is to bring hope and lead people to faith and a personal relationship with Jesus. We, we said we always preach with the, with the goal line in mind. I like this verse in 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Isn't that powerful? What is preaching? It's giving people a reason so they can have the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Romans 15, 4 says, for everything that was written, we shared this before, was written to teach us that through the endurance taught us, so that through the endurance taught us in scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. In other words, the reason for the Bible was to give people hope. I just think that's so powerful. So you know that you're preaching like Jesus did is if this led in some way to people to have hope in their heart. Here's another law, I believe. Realize that our anticipation and expectation of people determines their participation or response. What you see is what you get. When you, what you believe about people determines how they behave with you. When Jesus talked to lost people, he didn't talk to them as dirty sinners. He talked to them as lost sons and daughters, as lost sheep. That's huge. How you see people is, is going to be how you speak to people. <laughs> what you expect people, if you, if, even in your attitude, and that's why I say attitude is the first job of preaching or teaching. If you preach with a bad attitude, it's going to be a bad sermon, no matter what you say. <laughs> so, so what is your attitude? Your attitude is, I hope for these people, and I expect, and I believe, and I love them, and I care deeply about them. Um, you know, I've used this little illustration about my daughter, Heidi, and, and uh, a discussion about how do young people make friends. And I said, I said, Heidi, someone told me that they have a hard time in the youth group. They said they have a hard time making friends. How do you make friends, Heidi? Because you have so many friends. And you have friends that are Christians and non-Christians when she went over there to Andrews High School. And she said, oh, dad, uh, I don't ever try to make friends. I just know everybody wants to be my friend. <laughs> Isn't that powerful? That is something completely unspoken. Hey, I'm here today, and what I know about everybody in this room, they're my friends, and they want to be my friend, and they want me to win, and they're excited that we're having this time together. How many know I'm going to talk to you one way if, it, if that is? If I say, oh, these guys, you know, they're, they're grading my scorecard right now, and I know the guy, they're giving me an F, and when they leave this room, they're going to be like, ugh. Boring, you know, that's going to be a negative motivator. 
two of my favorite ways of thinking of people when I'm going to teach is, is the story of the dry bones and, and the story of Lazarus in the tomb. I, I like to think, Lord, today, as we minister, let dry bones come alive and let Lazarus come out of the tomb. Lord, I'm speaking to people. I believe there's a Lazarus inside of them, even though right now they're stinky, even though they're wearing a lot of issues. Lord, I'm calling Lazarus to come alive in them. I'm calling, as I say, the best angels out and not the worst demons out of them. I'm calling them who they can really be. A pastor was telling me he had visited the women's prison and there was a lady there uh, who's in there for murder. And he, he, he wanted to have a conversation with her to share the Lord with her. And she was like, she, you know, looking at her, her eyes were like shooting spears at him. Everything about her attitude was, I hate you. And if I wasn't in prison, I'd kill you right now. <laughs> and uh, so when he started to talk to her, he said, she said to him, you have just met the most evil person you ever met. And then his response was, no, I just met someone who as a little girl wanted to be loved and was never listened to and had all of her dreams crushed inside of her, but is eternally valuable to God. And I think that she just is waiting for someone to see who she really is. <laughs> well, that immediately shifted, you can imagine because of how she saw, she, what she, this person saw in her. Number five, realize the tone you set creates an atmosphere and the stage for what people hear. Just as a soft answer turns away wrath, you know that Bible verse, a, a word of faith creates receptivity and ability Great communicators don't just think about what they want to say. They think more about what they want people to hear. Now, that, that is just a huge thing right there. Most communicators are thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? What's, what do I have to say? And if you just do this one little shift, what do I want them to hear today? What do I want them to hear? If I'm sitting in their seat, I'm in their shoes, what do I hope they hear when this verse is read? I believe the gospel is best presented in an atmosphere of faith, hope, and love. And I just described what I believe should be the goal of every church service we have. <laughs> From the invitation to come to church to people leaving church, what's our first job? We're going to create an atmosphere of faith, hope, and love. So how does faith? Faith is how I pray for the service before I get there. What I'm believing God to do. Love is what I want them to feel the moment they walk through the door or even before they walk through the door when I call to invite them or met them on the streets. Hope is what I want them to sense as the message is given. Anticipation is what I want them to feel when I give an invitation and say, I could start a new life today. This is a highway of hope for me. All I have to do is take one step. 
here's 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 a I love this verse and I'll, I'll phrase it differently but Proverbs 12:25 says anxiety weighs down the heart but a kind word cheers it up I love that uh to think of people before they even get there especially in this time of pandemic today I'm going to talk to people whose hearts are weighed down but I'm going to give them the cheerful word <laughs> And, and it's going to raise them up. So here, here it is. Here's, here's my favorite thoughts about preaching hope. If you want to preach hope, here's my favorite thoughts. Number one, the ultimate purpose of prophecy and preaching is not to call out the dirt, but to find the gold under the dirt. To be willing to look past the dirt to find the little bit of gold. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Do you see anything in that verse about criticism? <laughs> Is the goal of a prophet to criticize someone? No. The goal of a prophecy and the goal of a sermon is build up, hold up, and fire up. <laughs> And I like those. That's just another way of saying to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Build up, hold up, and fire up. You know? And uh, that's an incredible, incredible goal. Um, there was a cartoon of Dennis the Menace, and he was shaking the pastor's hand afterwards. And he said, hey, Rev, next Sunday, just for fun, could you tell us something we're doing right. <laughs> and, and I love that little picture. Can I tell you, your kids are waiting for that. Your neighbor is waiting for that. Everyone you ever meet is saying, I already know what's wrong with me. Could we just, could you just take a moment and tell me something that I'm doing right? And, and we want to do that every chance we can. Again, the difference between the Pharisees, they put, they put rocks on them. Jesus took rocks off. Negative preaching puts a burden on people. Positive preaching takes a burden off of people. B, the best way to overcome a bad belief or idea someone has is to offer a better one. <laughs> you don't need to condemn and criticize them to get your point across. They have bad beliefs. That's a terrible belief. Yeah. Why don't you give them a better one? <laughs> and, and if you give them a better one, you don't have to smash their argument. They'll probably see for themselves. I, I love this verse in Galatians 6.1 from the Passion Translation. It says, My beloved friends, if you see a believer who is overtaken with the fault... May the one who overflows with the Spirit seek to restore him. Win him over with gentle words, which will open his heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself over him. Isn't that a powerful way to say that verse? I just love it. Number one, he says, when you see one who, someone who just did something horrible, they just blew it. What's your goal? To restore them. Isn't that incredible? You're, you're, you're not going there to say that is the stupidest thing you've ever done. Uh, isn't that incredible? Even as parents, that's what we think we got to say. 
you dummy, you know, whatever it is. He says, no, your assignment is to restore them. The Holy Spirit is supposed to convict them. And how many know he doesn't need us to play Holy Spirit? <laughs> He'll can, he can handle that part. But then he says, wow, when you restore them, use gentle words. Your goal is to try to open their heart. And as you do, your second goal is to keep from coming across as if you're better than them, <laughs> exalting yourself or, or parading your righteousness as something big or great. As I said here, you, if you scold, you never find the gold. See, always speak hope to broken hearts and you always be relevant to whatever audience you are speaking to because everybody's hurting somewhere. Uh, I, I think that is incredible advice. Anytime you're going to speak, say, oh yeah, my first job is to encourage someone. Somewhere in this message, I have to give this word, don't give up. <laughs> because someone is ready to give up. It's that famous word that says, uh, uh, how do you know if someone needs encouragement? The answer is, are they breathing? <laughs> All right, that's the answer. Do they need encouragement? So before you do anything else at your next Bible study, you say, I got a whole lot to say today, but my first mission is don't give up. Don't give up on your integrity. Don't give up on your, your family. There is hope. Now let's go from there. Number four, D, don't just tell it like it is. Tell it like it can be. And I like that one a lot. Have you ever heard someone kind of have the attitude like they're a genius? I just tell it like it is. Well, you're just rude. That's what you are. So, okay. If that's good, okay. You're just really rude. Uh, no. Uh, anybody can tell it like it is, but can you tell it like it can be? What you praise, you raise. What you label, you strengthen. I, I think this concept of labeling is huge. We, we hear it in business about the brand and, and how you brand something is huge. Can, can I just say how you brand your people is huge? <laughs> how you label your kids is huge. It, it may be more important than anything you ever teach them is simply the label that they feel that you put on them to wear. Anytime you label someone with a negative label, you simply reinforce what they already are and you put a lid on them that keeps them from becoming more of what they can be. I believe that preaching for faith is casting a vision of how God says they can be and giving them the hope and courage that they can become that. So whenever I'm preaching a message, I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture. Hope, you know, a hopeful atmosphere brings faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it's the evidence of what's not seen. If all of a sudden I fill their horizon with hope somewhere, they're going to get faith. They're going to get, oh, I can believe my life will be different now. I believe I can be better. God's heart is motivation, not simply 
correction or criticism. It is, it is, let me just give you this example. It is always the bottom line of my message has to be, this is what God can do in your life. This is how Jesus can make a difference. That's, that's the bottom line. Hey, everybody, this is what God can do in your life. This is how Jesus can make a difference. Um, let me just speak it this way. Uh, for example, if you're, if you're talking about fatherhood, it, it, it's not going to help anybody to convince them that they're a lousy dad. <laughs> I mean, I could easily say, all right, everybody, let me give you five examples of what a lousy dad is. <laughs> all right. They'll agree with every one of those points. And guess what? They'll wear the label. Yeah, I knew I was a lousy dad. Always been one. Always will be. But if you can say, I want to tell you how God sees you and how I see you. I see you in the potential. I see in you the potential to become an outstanding father. With God's grace in your life and the Holy Spirit empowering you and the word of God leading and guiding you, you could become the kind of man your wife would adore, that your children would respect and honor, that the community would hold up as a man of integrity, and you would be trusted and respected. I see in you the potential to become a great, great father. Now, what does that do? That gives a vision. Without a vision, the people stay the same or perish, right? With a vision, they believe they can change. And then kind of finally, remember, you can never speak a true message of hope from a heart that is filled with hurt, hate, or hopelessness. Preach to yourself first and be sure you've come to the altar before you try to convince anyone else that they should. All right, what am I saying? Man, look inside of your own heart today. If, if you're not convinced that God is so, so good, <laughs> you're not gonna convince anybody else. I, again, I just want to say one of our core values here is that we believe it's the goodness and kindness of God that leads people to repentance. That's true about you. Do you need to change? How, 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 do, I, how do I come to a place of change? Just bask in how good God is for you, towards you. Just bask in how kind he is. And I guarantee you, by the end of very much time, you'll know how you should change, but you'll have the power and desire to change. Make sure that you are not venting. Can I give a, 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 a commandment for preachers? Thou shalt not vent. If all of a sudden this is feeling too good, I, I was really huffy today because I, I watched the news and somebody got me really mad. And, but the good news is I got to preach and throw up all over everybody and I feel so good. Uh, wrong. You don't get to do that. Vent with God so you can build a people. So how do you measure success at the end of the day? I, I just love to ask this question. At the end of the day, I want to look in the people's eyes and, and, and can, I, can I look in there and say, wow, their burden is lighter than when they walked in. 
I, I see more hope right now. They still have the same problems. They still got all those issues, but they got some hope today. I believe that uh, this verse, again, Matthew eleven twenty eight. I think it's such a great way to judge a message. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble, I am gentle in my heart, and I will find rest for your soul. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Isn't that just a great verse? Wow. I, I gave Jesus yoke, which is I gave Jesus tools. I gave Jesus as the partner to carry the heavy side of that yoke. I, I gave them a destiny and a goal and a vision that made whatever pain they're going through worth, you know, staying in the battle. Today, they leave not with a perfect life, but they leave with rest in their souls. Can I just again encourage you? This is not easy. Do you know why there's not more positive messages? It's a lot harder to be positive. It is the easiest thing in the world to preach a reactionary sermon. This is how I feel. This is how the world looks. <laughs> and so this is what I want to say. But to say, let thy kingdom come. Let the picture of heaven on earth. That's a hard vision to see. That's a hard dream to communicate. It's going to mean sometimes you have to pause. You have to actually look for words that you don't usually use. <laughs> I, I just did a little uh, exercise. I've just been collecting words. I, I would challenge you sometime to do this. Find more encouraging words to add to your vocabulary. Uh, to, you, know, you, you know, maybe you say awesome all the time. What if you said splendid or exceeding expectation? I don't know. But any positive words, increase them. Work on those in the vocabulary. If you're having to learn a new language, don't start with the negative words. <laughs> just, just say, you know, that's what I might do with Spanish. Give me the 50 most positive words in Spanish and everybody will love my Spanish <laughs> when I say it. Work on that. You know, I close with this illustration I, I've told before, but it was just who my mom was and it, it exemplifies it so beautiful because she came to hear me preach one time, and, and, and it really was one of the biggest bombs of a sermon that I ever preached. Everyone fell asleep. I, I got amens only because they were saying, thank God it's over, whatever. But uh, I was really discouraged, and my mom was a born encourager. And so I said, Mom, uh, what did you think of the sermon? And since she was a woman of integrity, she couldn't lie. And I'll never forget that look. I just saw her staring and, not, and, and nodding her head. You know what she was doing? She was going through every vocabulary she had because she had to find a way to say this that was pleasant. Finally, she said, well, Dale, at least you showed up. <laughs> and that was the word. So anyhow, there is a way that you could be positive no matter how negative the situation may be. 
what I, what I'd love to do at our, our table and we're in here, we're kind of enough to where you can just have one table, <laughs> but just discuss this. Can you think of a testimony where encouraging words loved you to life, whether from a parent, a coach, a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, or a pastor? Can you think of an example of that where someone was able to choose uh, the right word? Comment on Proverbs 16.21. Pleasant words are persuasive. Take some time together to discuss what kind of words are persuasive in your life. Discuss the difference between just a pleasing word, a smart word, or a persuasive word. In other words, part of what I'm saying there is buttering people up is not necessarily being pleasant. Just telling people what they want to hear is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about words that bring real truth and love. <laughs> so it has to be truthful or it doesn't matter if it's loving, like I said, and if it's, if it's truthful and not loving, it doesn't help either. But what is a truthful, loving example of how to say something? Uh, why have you just reflected why sometimes can people, have you ever noticed how people can sometimes be so right, but they're just wrong? <laughs> and can you think of a sermon or a situation where someone was so right, but they just were so wrong? Because I said it before, they know more than you, but at the end, you have an instinctive feeling, I never want to be like them. <laughs> I know what they say, but I don't want to be who they are. Now that's called shooting yourself in your own foot. You can never be an effective teacher. How does that apply to your parent parenting? Uh, just ask you a kind of a haunting verse. When your kids grow up and they don't ever have to ask your advice again, will they? <laughs> and if they will, why? Which of the kids and youth you know often want to talk to their parents and which ones won't, even when their parents would be the one to talk to them. Why don't they? Is it just because they're bad and rebellious or have their parents never learned this truth? You know what I'm saying? So just give some thoughts you might have about that. And finally, um, what is the conversation or message you're going to need to deliver soon? Uh, think of some persuasive and pleasant ways to say it. <laughs> maybe you're going to go home today and have to tell your kids it's time to do all their chores. <laughs> or maybe you're going to have to uh, uh, really let the church know tomorrow, you guys, There's a. it's not good to always be late to church. <laughs> uh, how, how could you say that? Uh, how could you say to people, uh, there's something better to do than to fall asleep in this sermon. Whatever it is, <laughs> think of a message of truth you need to get across. And how could you frame that in, in some more positive ways? Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Pastor Dale's Leadership Podcast. It is our hope that you have been inspired in a great way. We encourage you to stay tuned for future content. May God bless you richly.